Hi, this is the Irredeemable Shag, and I've never been on the Quarterbin podcast. <laughs> this is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarterbin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select sort of at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 65th episode of the Quarterbin Podcast, we're looking at Justice 17 from Marvel Comics' New Universe line, cover dated March 1988. This is our third part of a series, a visit to another dead universe. This time, Marvel's mid to late 1980s New Universe Initiative. But how exactly was this book selected? Well, I put up on the Facebook page for the Relatively Geeky Network all of the other New Universe books I had in the quarter bin. It's about seven or eight books. And listeners were able to vote on the one they wanted me to cover. I randomized the selection and the winning entry was made by Christopher Willett, who, as a result of that, won a package of books some that we've covered here on the podcast, and just some others that I have, which I hope you received sometime before Christmas. So today, Justice 17. But first, a little feedback on the last few episodes. On episode 64, Starbrand, the Sutherlands had a thing or two to say. Hi, Professor Allen, just listened to your review of the Starbrand annual. The holiday spirit must have you in a forgiving mood, as I was surprised you ended your review on such a positive note. The episode reminded me of our earlier conversation about endings. While I felt the story had a poignant ending, everything that came before it seemed bland and uninteresting. Your show is always amazing, even when the issues aren't. Thanks for always putting together a great show. Now, I replied to them that paying 25 cents for a 38-page story, hard to go wrong with those economics. I guess I'm just a pushover. (laughs) Robert Ward had a great comment on the Facebook post sharing similar thoughts on the story, or at least the characters. Wow, I personally thought everyone sounded terrible in this synopsis. I commented that maybe that was the realistic aspect that the new you was going for. But on both of those comments, there is some context. Yes, Starbrand Annual was not a great story, but maybe after the Night Mask story from the episode before, which I thought was weaker, I ended up sort of overstating my pleasure with this one, maybe. Thanks go out to QuantumCast and Trekker Talk, who shared that post on Facebook. I think that Gene Hendricks commented in his share, or maybe when he voted for Justice, that he did so because of a 2000s crossover of Justice and Quasar, the character that he covers on the Quantum Cast. I also heard from brand new feedbacker Clinton Robeson, who sent in an email to both me and Emily. Hi, been listening for a few months now. Just wanted to let you two know that you do an amazing job with the podcasts. Quarterbin is a little bit more my favorite. Sorry, Emily, but as a longtime bin diver myself, how can I resist? Yes, that is the magic of the Quarterbin Podcast. We all look for those diamonds in the rough, those 
dollar books, 50 cent books, yay, verily 25 cent books that deliver a top-notch quality story. Clinton said he's especially thankful for Doom 2099 coverage, as well he should be, as it and Spider-Man 2099 were my two main purchases in the 90s. It's rare that I find someone who enjoys the 2099 universe as much as I do, especially Doom. Here's to a wonderful 2016 and hoping you both keep up the amazing work. Thank you, Clinton. Glad to have you on board. And thanks for that feedback, everybody. I really do appreciate it. And now, on to our book for this episode, Justice. 17 had a cover price of 75 cents, three shiny quarters, meaning I acquired this book at a reasonable 67% discount off that original retail price. The cover, by Lee Weeks, shows our white-haired hero falling towards the city streets, looking like maybe he's been pushed from a very tall building. It's a good cover. That could be a very good cover if it had a little more detail in the background. And it's a pose we've seen lots of times in lots of settings, but it is eye-catching and certainly dramatic. There is a reason that this pose, that this visual, is used quite often. The story, Spirit Against the Flesh, was written by Peter David, with art by Lee Weeks and Tony DiZaniga. We open on three long horizontal panels, stretching across the top of the first page, solid black, then gray, then white. Someone regaining consciousness, maybe, regaining awareness. No, don't, I can't die. I'm not finished yet. There's more to say. Then we get notes of confusion, first-person narration and text boxes, trying to make sense of what's being seen. What a dream. That white-haired guy with the coat trying to kill me. My apartment. It's wrecked, like in the dream. TV is smashed. Kelly! My, my pictures of Kelly! Some of them got cracked in the fight. And my law diploma. I'll have to get them all reframed. Wait. What fight? The fight? Pull yourself together. Maybe you're sleepwalking. Yeah, that's it. But I smell something. What's over there? A pile of steaming ash? Then he was here. That justice killer. That's how he does it. But who did he kill here in my apartment? My hands, my clothes. They're not mine. No, I have to be Eric Quinn. I have to be. Let me just splash some water on my face. Look in the mirror. No, I am justice. Then come the flashbacks. You see, it all did happen. Justice kicking in his door. Eric Quinn, you've abused your power. I offered him money. Anything he wanted, he just blasted me with some kind of crazy energy. I tried to shoot him, but my bullets didn't get near him. Then it hit me. What was going to happen? And my life flashed in front of my eyes. And a flashback. Now we're back in the apartment, and Justice is lying on the floor, and he's not sure how he got there. Uh, did someone get the license number of that paranormal? Justice remembers seeing Quinn's ashes, and then nothing. And at that moment, cops arrive on the scene, and things go from confusing to worse. I know this guy. 
His sketch just came over the wire. He's the Justice Killer. Justice uses his sword hand to create a flash, and he jumps out the window, using energy shields to walk hundreds of feet in the air. And then he wonders, Where am I? How am I in the air? No, I'm falling. Please, I can't die twice in the same day. And he blacks out again. And now we're in a weird dreamscape, and Eric Quinn and Justice are face to face. We learn that Justice has indeed killed Eric Quinn, who was a paranormal who was indeed abusing his powers. However, Quinn's power enables him to transfer his mind into Justice before dying. He can sort of possess people, sort of dead man-like, and they've been fighting for control of his consciousness ever since can't get you out of my mind, so to speak, Justice quips, but I'm not concerned. Without a body for you to return to, your consciousness will eventually lose its vitality and just fade away. Quinn complains that he wasn't ready to die and asks Justice why he did it. And Justice shows us, and Quinn, his final date with Kelly, his beloved Marilyn Monroe lookalike. At the dinner, she dumped him for a fella named Hugo. Hugo? You're dumping me for a Hugo? That's a name for a candy bar, not a man. I'll kill him. I swear, I'll kill him. After a few lonely drinks later in the evening, Eric used his paranormal power to possess Hugo, who ranted for a little bit about Eric, before jumping out of Kelly's window, thus killing Hugo. Back face-to-face, well in the spirit realm at least. Quinn says he's sorry. Sorry is irrelevant, Justice tells him. You abused your gift. Justice was done. But while he was alive, Quinn was a lawyer, and he just can't stop arguing. He wants to know what right Justice has to be judge, jury, and executioner. You kill with your gift in cold blood. What makes you better than me? And since Quinn doesn't have long left before his spirit fades, Justice decides he'll answer the question. And then John Tenson tells his origin story, how he became Justice. Growing up, he always played the good guy. And in high school, once, he beat up some drug dealers in the hallway. After graduation, he married. They had a baby girl, all while they were still in college. Looking back, I used to wonder why we were in such a hurry to grow up. Maybe I had a premonition of how soon things would fall apart. He got a job in Washington, D.C. at the Justice Department, becoming a leader in the war on drugs. One day, his wife had the misfortune of taking John's car to work in the morning, and the bomb meant for him killed her. Years passed, and he was still working at Justice when the white event hit. Eventually, his psionic power fully surfaced. Anyone could become a narc, but I was uniquely suited to find paranormals and make certain they did not abuse their powers. And if they did, they were to be expunged so that no one else would suffer the way I had. Justice tells Quinn that time is running short, and Quinn asks for one favor, to fully balance the scales. So Justice arrives at 
Kelly, the former girlfriend's apartment, and explains that Hugo didn't kill himself, that Quinn killed him while he was possessing him, and that Quinn is actually possessing the white-haired man in front of her right now. But she panics, stumbles backward, and falls off her apartment balcony. Justice takes over, and he manages to save her. And just as Eric Quinn is fading away, he asks for her forgiveness. He, he pleads for it. He begs for it. But Kelly is having none of this. I loved him, and you killed him. You are a monster. And then John Tensing is back in control of justice, and he tells her that Quinn is gone. She asks where he's gone, and Justice replies that if Dante is right, he is in the seventh circle of hell. Thinking Justice a medium, she demands that he bring his soul back, his presence back. I have more to say. I'm not done with him. By this time, Justice has reached her apartment door, and he turns around as he exits. Yes, Kelly, you are done with him. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series, or issue, or character, or whatever to talk about, and then I... Well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.fusefromalongbox.com. From there, you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Long Box. A podcast about comics or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. And we're back. You remember that time on the TV show Dallas, where an entire season after Bobby Ewing dies, he steps out of the shower, revealing that the entire season had been a dream? Well, a similar thing happened to Justice, just a few issues before this one. Originally, Justice was a visitor from another dimension, a fantasy realm that resembled medieval Europe, as many fantasy dimensions do. He was a justice warrior, possessing a self-assured black-and-white sense of right and wrong, supported by his ability to see people's inner auras that allowed him to determine at a glance whether they were good or evil. 
He possessed energy powers that could create in one hand a sword, and in the other hand a shield for delivering justice. Yes, I agree that does sound a lot like Rom's Space Knight. And yes, I agree that you cannot go wrong by coming up with a premise that sounds a lot like Rom's Space Knight. There was a problem, though, with this setup, with this series premise. If you remember what we talked about last time about the New Universe rules, that version of justice that I just described totally contradicts the rules. There were supposed to be no superhumans before the White Event, and this character's powers and history, mere existence, overrode the New Universe's much ballyhooed and advertised grounding in our reality. Justice, in those 14... Justice, in those first 14 issues, totally broke those rules. His stories were not taking place in, quote, the world right outside your window, unquote. Now, I do have a strong recollection of really enjoying the Justice title when it was coming out, and maybe in retrospect it was because it did not fit into those restrictions. We mentioned last episode that Starbrand cannot be as dynamic as other comic book heroes because of the restrictions on powers and the people who had powers. They wanted grounded. They wanted closer to reality. And the logical extension of that was depowered heroes and, and, and heroes who sort of worked in secret, keeping their powers hidden. And in that world, Justice stood out. He had cool powers. He had big powers. Was from another dimension. He, again, he, he just stood out. Which is why that version of the character could not last. And so in issue 15, remember this is 17, in issue 15, Peter David came on as the new regular writer and working with Mark Grunwald at the you know big picture, big idea level, they gave us the amazing retcon that almost every event in the first 14 issues had been a Bobby Ewing-like dream or hallucination, really, created by a paranormal in a coma, John Tensing. And that justice was actually a normal human with powers, and not a cool Rom-like figure from another dimension. Which brings us to this issue of Justice number 17, this telling of justice's real origin. I guess his fake origin was told in a prior issue, and this story was designed to set that history straight. And as an origin, it's not bad, and it is certainly much more in line with the new universe vibe than the original one was. Kind of wish they had come up with this one first so we could get to this without the black eye of a retcon. And that's part of the problem with retcons. They, they seem to me as a reader to be just such a cheat, you know? Like, like they've pulled a fast one on readers up to this point. The faithful readers, the fans. But back to this issue. For an origin retelling or origin telling, it's not bad. And I need to differentiate here between story and script. The story is what I talked about before, the need for the retcon, the need to sort of depower justice a bit, to, to humanize the character, and I mean literally making him a human. I wish they didn't have to tell that story, but I understand it, and, and it's fine. The scripting of this issue, I think, the implementation of that story, I think is really strong. The opening pages, the, the four pages where we have two confused people in one mind, is quite well portrayed. It's confusing, yes, 
But when you get through those first four pages or so, and you learn what's going on, you can tell that the confusion you felt was intentional. It was Peter David getting you, the reader, in the same headspace as the characters. One part of that opening that I really liked was when Eric Quinn was trying to figure out what was happening, and at one point he yells, No! And then realized that that wasn't his voice, because it wasn't his mouth, his throat, his vocal cords. He's in John Tenson's body. But his comment about the voice is, It's like the Equalizer's voice, only deeper and without the accent. And as a big fan of the TV show The Equalizer, starring the late Edward Woodward, I thought that was a hilarious line. You know, but there's a lot to do in this issue. And so then we move on to the revelation of why Quinn deserved his justice. And that's only a few pages, but it's clear that he's a bad dude. And he did use his powers for personal gain in a mean, drunken, deadly way. And then we get to the spirit realm. And where they're in the spirit realm, the backgrounds, the locations of the conversations constantly shift. After about three pages of this, Justice says to Quinn, and really to us as readers, please ignore the changing backgrounds. They're immaterial. Like those opening pages where it's confusing, but then we learn why it's confusing, the background in these pages change from like a fantasy setting to a wilderness setting to a theater. And as a reader, you start to notice that. But then Justice addresses us about it. He actually is addressing Quinn about it. And that's just skilled scripting and and artistic uh, storytelling. And then we move again to the final part of the issue where Quinn confronts the ex-girlfriend again. And again, it's really well done. It's brief and it's emotional. There's much attention given to the ex-girlfriend as both of our leads, both POV characters, And her emotional journey is part of the story, too. She's not just a prop, and that's a really nice touch. And and that's an important part of this title, because Justice himself is a pretty cold, emotionless character. So the emotions of the other characters, in this case, Quinn and the ex-girlfriend, Kelly, are critical components of the story. And that stuff was handled really well. The verdict on Justice 17, Peter David is guilty of being a really skilled technician of the craft of comic book storytelling. This issue had a lot of things to do. There was much to accomplish. And as a single issue of a comic book, it accomplished most of those things. Despite the weird place that this issue takes place in, the retconned origin and all that, what David was asked to do with this issue, he did quite well. Definitely the most enjoyable of the three New Universe books we've tackled in the last three episodes. And the verdict on the New Universe, based on these three episodes, these three issues. Now, we did not cover an issue of DP7, which is broadly considered the top title. So we may not have hit the highlights of the initiative, but I think the New Universe was an interesting idea. And at times it delivered pretty good stories. They did handicap themselves, and that was a fundamental problem that we we saw in varying ways in, in each of these three issues. And anytime you take a broad overview of a number of titles, you see inconsistencies, you see ups and downs. And again, they were handicapped from the outset. 
But to me, I think the new you was a noble experiment, an interesting attempt to do something really different. New Universe books, by the way, are all over the cheap bins. And if you can find a decent run of one of the better titles, DP7 or Starbrand, check them out. You could do worse. That wraps up my coverage of Justice 17, bringing episode 65 of the Quarterbin Podcast to a close. In episode 66, well, here's the thing. I know what we'll be covering in the next two issues, 66 and 67, but I don't know in which order, because one of those has a specific date that I'm shooting for. There will be an episode that comes out the last week of January, and in it, we're jumping on another geek event and doing more coattail riding and search engine optimizing. To celebrate the return of the X-Files to the TV airwaves, we'll be looking at the official comic adaptation of the original X-Files pilot episode, X-Files issue zero from Topps Comics, 1996. That may be the next episode, but it may be the episode after, depending on what else hits the feed between now and then, you know, if there's a short box showcase or something else in between. So if it's not the X-Files that's next, it will be Tailgunner Joe number six from DC Comics, cover dated January 1989. So next episode, episode 66, we'll cover one of those two books. If you have any questions or comments about this issue, this episode, or the podcast, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Professor!